0: The Lord. The search for the one. If you are single or if you remember being single, you remember that search. Soulmate, the one. The one is broadly understood to be the person in the world that won't require you to sacrifice anything for. Loving the one won't ever require you to deny yourself. If you can just find the one, you will never have marriage problems and life will be full of passion and laughter every moment of every day. Butterflies will never ever leave. Your belly will always be stirred. And every time the one walks in the room, you will feel as if you are melting. The one. But then they sing too early in the morning. And all of a sudden, the one becomes really, really annoying. Jordan used to think my singing was cute. But at 6 a.m., shoes. (laughs) Not really. She's never thrown a a shoe at me. A spoon, maybe, not a shoe. Okay, so Chandler is so funny in saying this. The mythical one, is there one? No. How do you know that you married the one? Because you married him or her. There isn't a one, and yet there is a one. If you're married... Guess what? There's your one. Two God has for you. So there is a one and there isn't a one. Today, we see a story of Isaac. Isaac and his father Abraham. And Abraham sent his servant away to fetch a bride for his son to live in the promised land. And sure enough, there was an appointed one for him. There's a mission. In verse 1 through 9, we see this mission highlighted for us. Verse 1 through 4 Abraham was responsible apparently to find a wife for Isaac. He took this upon his shoulders. Isaac was 40 years old at the time, and Abraham saw it as his responsibility. Ab- Isaacs there's no online dating, so okay? Abraham was going to take the bull by the horns. Many, much of this is cultural, but he sends away his servant, his oldest servant to find a wife for his son Isaac for the purposes of God to continue in this bloodline. Isaac would need to be married, and they would need to have children. So Abraham, in his old age, knowing this, was very specific to his servant. The specificity included a couple things. The wife should not be a Canaanite. This woman does not need to be a woman from one of these pagan cities around this area. Remember, they're a sojourner in the land. Abraham is not in the promised land yet. It's still promised. He's living in the land that is promised, but it is not yet actually promised. There for them. She should not be a Canaanite. And he said, don't take Isaac to the land of my kindred. Because Isaac needs to stay here in this promised land. We need to remain a sojourner until God continues His purposes through our family. We need to stay. Whatever you do, even if you don't find a woman there, do not bring Isaac up north. Even though times are a little bit different today than the times that we find ourselves in. Genesis chapter 24 There are universal principles here. Fathers, there is responsibility that we bear. We can even say grandfathers. Responsibility that grandfathers bear. And living in such a way that we care about the right things for our children and our grandchildren. We don't arrange marriages anymore, but we should have Abraham's same concerns. And we should never be okay with our sons or our daughters marrying non-believers. Ever. And not only that, a creed, a confession of faith, isn't enough. When my son grows up and he's dating some well girl that says that she's a Christian but lives in a totally different way, I will not be okay with that. And if my daughter, if I ever get to have a daughter, brings home some dude that looks good and claims to be a Christian so he can be in a relationship with her, I won't be okay with that. And we want to point our sons and our daughters, for that matter, not to ourselves, but to Jesus. So on Father's Day, we want to be just like the women in this room in the sense that they wanted to hear on Mother's Day, not a sermon about motherhood, they wanted to hear about Jesus. And I think they would have thrown shoes at me if I got up here and just brought sentiment about moms and how awesome and incredible you are. We, are, we love you. And fathers, in the same way, we need to hear Jesus this morning. We are not justified by fatherhood. We're justified by Jesus. And as many promises that we want to make as men or as husbands for all the good that promise keepers and those sorts of things have been for the men in our country what God has used, promises don't that you keep to anybody don't save you. Our hope is in Jesus. And we need our children to see that our hope is not in how we're fathering them, but our hope is in Jesus. They need to see that. And if we point them... And our desire, they see, is that they marry a godly person. And if we live in such a way that our sons will want Jesus more because of the way that we love Jesus in our family, then our young men who love Jesus will not marry a pretty girl with an ugly soul. Our daughters, likewise, will want to marry a guy like us or not like us. And I hope my daughter, if I have one one day, we have one, that I love Jesus well and love her so well that she won't marry a bozo because he has money and he looks good. And he makes her laugh. Verse 7, the mission continues to be unfolded. He tells the servant that there's going to be an angel that goes before him. In verse 8, we recognize the volition of the woman. What if she doesn't want to go? There's consent. And a caveat's given. If she doesn't go, just come back. You're relieved of your duty. You're relieved of your responsibility. But whatever you do, don't bring Isaac up there. Don't bring Isaac. But there's going to be an angel. Abraham exemplifies again faith in the sense that he knew God was going to provide. So the servant travels. Verse 10, it kind of outlines that at the beginning of his mission. And he starts to walk to Naor, And interestingly enough, it's a 500 mile journey. It's not a simple, easy journey. 500 miles is easy today. You hop in the car, you drive up, go to Chicago or North Chicago or down to Florida, because why would you ever want to go to Chicago? Sorry, Dan and Micah. We love you. Uh, Chicagoites. Um, and uh, you drive somewhere, five, or you fly, and you get there and I don't know, like eight, eight minutes or something like that. Well, with a camel and other servants and a big amount of gold and silver and presents, you're looking at traveling 20 to 25 miles a day, a day at max. You're looking at a long journey. This is a pretty big mission. So they go on this mission. They leave with everything. And they get there. They arrive. And then the servant begins to pray a very specific prayer. It's like he's saying, God, make this clear. I'm, I'm up here. i got one shot at this. I don't want to mess this up. And you've probably been there before as well. Where in verse 12, you pray a very specific prayer. He said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Show steadfast love to my master. I'm standing by this well of water. These I'm paraphrasing here. And the daughters of the city, they're coming out. Verse fourteen. Let the woman who I say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who I say, and and who will say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have. You see that word? Just everybody look there real quick. If you see in the dark. Verse fourteen. You have appointed. For your servant Isaac. You, God has someone for you. If you're married, you married the one God has for you. If you're single, be patient. It'll work out. Unless God's called you to singleness, which is a good and holy call. But it will work out. Appointed for your servant. He prays specifically. Now this is typically kind of not necessarily how we pray, but at times we remember prayers that were very specific prayers. Very clear God, I need this to happen. I, 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 just, I trust you no matter what, but this is got to happen. I, I don't know what else to do. Please, would you make this happen? And God came through. Answered specifically, in specific ways. And this is an example of this happening. There's hope. God answered a specific prayer. The saga moves forward. God brings an answer, and we see Rebecca's character revealed. As he was finishing speaking, boom, Rebecca pops on the scene. He ends praying. Literally the second he prays, It finishes praying, here is Rebecca. He's thinking, I bet Isaac would like her. She's pretty. She's a hard worker. She's heading out here just with all the other women collecting water. She's not neglecting her duties. She's doing... She, I. She, maybe she's it. And he runs up to her and he asks her for a drink of water. And he finds out she's got a generous spirit. Because not only does he give, she give him a drink of water, she's like, hey, your servants, they look thirsty. I don't know if you know this, but, but, but camels, and your servants, your camels, I mean, your camels can drink a lot of water. Like a lot. You know how much time it would take to make camels from parched to like full? I have no idea. That, no, but a lot of gallons probably. It's like a kiddie pool that's in your backyard. A lot of water. So, hard worker, generous spirit, thinking, that's the, that's the one for Isaac. And he sees, and he believes this is the word of the Lord because the prayer is answered. She does exactly what he requests. And then, after that, verse 22 through 33, he gives some symbolic gifts to Rebecca. And the servant is animals that were welcomed into Rebekah's family and house. We see again the further generosity of Rebekah, the character. Verse 29-33, through Laban sees the gifts on Rebekah and believes the servant is to be sent from God. He's from God. These were symbolic and he knew that this meant something of the betrothal of Rebekah. And Laban and the family recognize this is not just some weird, creepy old guy at the water well. This is a man sent from God. And they see it. God's doing this. This is His work. This isn't just a weird Tuesday. God's at work and they recognize it. And then we see the big reveal. The scene is the family of Rebecca. The servant and the people that are with him and the camels, and they're sitting around, and the servant begins to unfold the mission. And he spills his guts and he tells everything, why he's there, who sent him, what he has for them to confirm that the message is true. He tells them about the prayer. It's just a big reveal. And in verse 51, we see that there's somewhat of a bittersweet response because after all, this family seems to love Rebecca. She's a pretty stellar woman in verse 51 Look at this. They say, Behold, Rebecca, oh, verse 50, excuse me, Laban, they answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord, but we cannot speak to you bad or good. They knew it was from the Lord, but they were neutral in their response to it. You ever been there? You knew something was the work of the Lord, but you're just like, This isn't awesome, and it's not terrible. It's kind of like Papa John's pizza. You know? I don't know. So it's kind of bittersweet. In verse 52 to 61, we see even further hesitation from the family. Verse 55, it says, her brother and her mother said to the servant, they said to him, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days, and after that she may go. Do you see the kind of woman that Rebecca is? Because even against the family's advice, we see her consent. Okay, we see her consent here. She didn't want to go. She didn't have to. Which is an interesting point, by the way. She had consent here. She wasn't just properly to be thrown out like Lot and his daughters. Remember that? There's consent here. The family hesitates, but in 57 to 58, I want you to listen to the resolve of Rebecca. She knows this is of the Lord. They said, verse 57, "Let us call the young woman and ask her." And they called Rebecca and said to her, "Will you go with this man?" She said, "I will go." So she saddles up, packs up, leaves home with no FaceTime, email, text messages. See you home. And goes on a 500-mile journey with the servant because she believed. It was what God was doing. She knew that God was in this. In 62 through 67, we kind of see this. If it was a film, we could see it. Isaac's working. Over the horizon. Rebecca, she's riding. This is what riding on a camel looks like. She sees far away. She looks over at that servant. Who's that man? He's four-year-old, hardworking man. You know? He's out in the field. Who is that? certain said, That's the one. Isaac sees him coming. She jumps off the camel, pulls the veil down, adorns herself appropriately. They meet, and Isaac and Rebecca get married. Think about the impossibility of this mission. A 40-year-old man, in that day, I don't know the average age of marriage, but let's just say that it was some sort of like cultural... If you're 40 and single today, people are wondering, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Maybe God's called you to singleness, and you, should, you shouldn't wonder what's wrong with you. But 40, no children yet, and here it is. This is the moment. God sends His oldest servant 500 miles away to that Kindred, he knows that for all he knows, they're not even there anymore. And he finds the one God appointed for him and makes it all the way back. And here is this marriage. So the mission in Genesis chapter 24 is incredible. Because you see, the purpose of God to bless the world through the bloodline of Abraham would continue. This father got a bride for his Son, It's astounding Just like the rest of Genesis It makes me think Because the mission of Genesis 24 Is that the father sent a servant To find a bride who would dwell with his son In the promised land And the message of the entire scriptures The message of the entire Bible The great love story The great story of the God of the universe Is that the spirit has been sent To gather the bride for the Whom the Son, Jesus Christ, died and whom will dwell with Him in His land forever. The story, the narratives, they're not isolated stories for us to just learn things. They're telling always, week in, week out. They're just telling us. It's like we're beating the same drum here every week. There's something about Jesus here for us. We want you to know Him. It's like passing of everything, we, we decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified because the Scriptures themselves are just saturated with Jesus. And here He is. And friends, we have been sought out, hunted down, if you will, by the Spirit of God. And then invited and got up into His purposes and plans. You and I now, by being sought and bought and made new, are invited into this mission of God. And we now have a commission. This mission, there's a servant who went, what is our role now that we have been sought, that we have been bought, that we have been purchased, that we are a part of this mission, well, we have been given a commission, the great commission, Matthew 28. And we're going to end. Our part in the mission of God. What is it? It's going to be, there's going to be trouble along the way, like the 500 mile journey. It's going to be difficult. We're going to have to trust the word of the Father. It's going to be okay. There's an angel going before you. You're not going to fail. We're going to have to be alert, keep our eyes open and see what God is up to. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Our part in this mission. Jesus has all authority. I'm just going to turn there and read it. Matthew 28. Starting verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Interesting, right? The risen Lord before them. they're like, woo! And then there's a group there that are wondering, like, is that a hologram? I don't know. Is this a reality? Then Jesus begins to speak. He came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus tells us in verse 18, He has all authority. The same authority Jesus has in heaven, which is quite a lot, right? All. He has that same authority here. It looks differently, but it's the same. There is no authority that can stand against the Lord Jesus Christ. Full authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, the one with all authority. He tells us our life mission. And I want to keep going back to this always as a church. Go. And many of you have heard this before. As you go, the word even means. In the Greek. Not that I know Greek, but I've heard. As you go. Where are you? You have your mission. You have it. This is, you're sent by the Father. You're sent just like the servant. We're here to find this bride, to gather. Behold, the Lamb of God who deserves the reward of His suffering. Let's go and find them. He tells us our mission. That's why we exist. Make disciples. And if disciples and means make disciples for us, you know where? In Southern Illinois. You know where? More specifically, in our homes. And then we get to move out from our homes. If the world's going to be reached, somebody has to, as Zach Eswine says, make it their great ambition and great mission to reach Carbondale. If the world's going to be reached, somebody's going to have to reach our homes. (laughs) Baptize them, teach them, and behold, He is with you always. Which is so comforting. You know that Jesus is with you? You're not alone. That's unreal. Let's catch some zeal from church history. I want to read a story, then we'll be done. It's about the two Moravians, uh, two missionaries, Moravian missionaries. You maybe have heard this story before, and I want you to catch this. This is about their specifically going somewhere. Many of us have got responsibilities in this mission of God, but our, like I said, our, most of us are here. This is where we're at, this is where God's put us. So, again, this is our place, we're here. Two young Arabians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. The owner said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to anyone about God. I'm through with that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic And there to live and die without ever hearing of Christ. Several thousand black slaves toiled in the sugar cane fields under the burning sun. Three thousand slaves doomed to live and die without hearing hearing about Christ. Two young Germans in their twenties from the Moravian sect heard about their plight. They were willing to sell themselves to the British planter for the standard price of a male slave if necessary. The Bavarian community came to see the two lads off who would never return again, having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As a member of the slave community, they would witness as Christians to the love of God, family members were emotional and weeping. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? The the, The housing had been cast off and were curled up in the pier. As the ship slipped away with the tide... The gap widened. The young men linked arms, raising their hands and shouted across the spread, May the Lamb that was slain receive... Here. By the grace of God, let's introduce sinners to the Son, Jesus Christ. The team would come back up. In Genesis 24, the Father sent His servant to find a bride who would dwell with the Son in the promised land. In the story of the Bible, the story that sung throughout all eternity, into from eternity past into eternity future, we hear about a father sending his servant to find a bride. And the Spirit has been sent to gather the bride for whom the Son died and will dwell with Him in His land forever.